Hello and welcome to the Two Who Recruit. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Hi guys, welcome to episode four of the Two Who Recruit. It's episode three, she Sorry, episode three. <laughs> Completely got that wrong. <laughs> Good start. Great Good start. start. Episode three. <laughs> so today, um, Jules, what's the plan for the weekend? We've got quite a few of us on. So what are you up to? Um, I've got quite a lot planned this weekend. Um, a bit too busy. Going out for dinner, going out with friends, too many activities, and already a bit worried about how tired I'm going to be next week. So yeah. <laughs> great Don't plan. ask me how I'm feeling on Monday morning is quite frankly what I'm well, I'll say. A bit, about you? bit of a hangover. Mm. Um, so what am I doing? I am going to my mum's this weekend. Nice. Not being to my mum's in a while. So that'll be good. Spend a bit of time with her. Go to lunch. Great. Spend a bit of time with the niece. So a family spent weekend indeed. Fantastic. Well, we're going to sort of go straight into the topic today because this, I'm hoping, is going to be quite an in-depth, intense conversation around a topic that is really I guess quite special to I'm hoping many people it's diversity and inclusion essentially well equality diversity inclusion I should I should sort of say um I'm going to give you some context so IAC our business who we work for diversity and inclusion is something that fundamentally our business is built on our CEO is incredibly passionate about diversity and inclusion it's one of the reasons why he set up this organization and if we look at our own business, we're very fortunate in having a 50-50 split in gender across our leadership team, um, which is a fantastic success story. Um, it's taken a bit to get us there, but we've, we've got there. And that was something that Dave really, really wanted to encourage. Um, but also, we've got a really, really diverse bunch of people in our office. And I'm looking at our office now. Can't see through the door, but we've got people from different countries different backgrounds, different religions. Um, and it's something that we are quite conscious of when we recruit. We don't want the same individual from the same university, from the same background. We want to find people with different brains, different entities, because cognitive diversity is something that we really champion. And it's actually a, a webinar or a seminar that we had pre-COVID um, with Matthew Saeed, who came in and talked about cognitive diversity. And I think that's where my passion first sprung. Um, listening to that seminar was, quite frankly, amazing, really inspirational. So it all started from there. We then started doing our DNI report, which, again, is an initiative that we started during COVID. Um, we not only want to live and breathe diversity within our organisation, but we want to help our clients with their own diversity and inclusion. So we have created the past two year, two years, sorry, um, a report. We have gone around and interviewed um, internal audit functions across the world, actually, to understand how their teams are made up. So the gender splits, different ethnicities, different nationalities, education, have they been to university or not? What companies have they come from? Are they parents? Are they minders? So we've we've released that report. We're due to release the report, our, our second report. And I'm hoping you can see that this is something that's really passionate to us as an organization. 
So I'm going to let Sheens now do a bit more of a segue into our guests. Absolutely. Thank you, Joel. So just touching on what Joel said previously is DNI and is absolutely important to our CEO. We obviously have the 10,000 Black Interns Programme. So that's my link to Nilesh coming in, actually, hence me picking up the phone to you. So 10,000 Black Interns is a programme where we had Mary-Anne join us. That's our common connection. Um, and she did a great job. She came in for marketing, didn't she? So Nilesh, I obviously gave you a call and I was just really interested in your background and everything Mary-Anne said about you and how you helped her. So I'm going to introduce Nilesh now. I think everyone knows a little bit about me. Um, but I'll introduce yourself and Sheila as well on the podcast. We have two Sheilas on today. So, Lina, do you want to just give a brief introduction about your background and who you are? Yeah, sure. And look, thank you for picking up the phone, right? Um, so, yeah, my name is Nilesh Dosa. Um, I'm a banking and finance guy by background. Um, and a few years ago, off the back of I would, what I would call some seminal life, moments and events, I decided I wanted to do something radically different um, and just had a deep desire to go back and support the young people in whom I saw myself. Um, and look, the rest is history, right? So I'm sure we'll get into a bit more of that, but that's me. And look, thanks, thanks for having me. That's all right. Absolute pleasure. Sheena, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, perfect. Thank you uh, for having us. Uh, my name's Sheena Sethi and I'm a trans accountant, um, I qualified a couple of years ago, and I've been involved in ICANN UCAN2 for around the last three years, um, just seeing what uh, Nilesh and the team were doing and got really inspired, so yeah, nice. And just to give it a bit more context, I mean, for me, I recruit within the professional services world, the big corporate world, as we know, and for me, what's really interesting is you know, your backgrounds, the area that we recruit in as a business and diversity is one of the biggest agendas, you know, everyone's talking about it. It's a pretty hot topic. So just going into, you know, your background again, just touching on your childhood. Who, who's Nilesh? What, what was childhood like? Um, so, look, I'm the son of migrants, right? So my mum and dad came to England in the late 70s. Um and actually, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for them, right? You come to this country, you can't speak the language, you don't really understand the norms. But one of the things that they absolutely did understand is study hard. Your academics, your education could be the sort of ticket out of council housing um, and sort of kicking on with life. So I grew up in sort of inner East London um, in a borough called Newham. Um, and up the road from the old West Ham United football ground. So that was home for me. Did well at school. Um, went on to university in Birmingham where I studied finance. And then, yeah, I trained with KPMG. I then spent a few years on the other side in, in banking. So worked with Santander and then Lloyd's Banking Group. And then joined EY as a client-facing management consultant in 2014, and I'm still at UI. Brilliant. I'm actually, I actually live in Newham. Yeah, yeah where about here? Where about in particular? Upton Bark, East Ham, Forest Gate, that yeah. was home. I know Forest Gate very well. I spent about two years in Forest Gate. So, uh, yeah, very familiar with that area. I've walked a lot around Forest Gate. I was there in COVID. 
a lot of walks <laughs> around Forest Gate and Wonderful Flats multiple times. Um, Sheena, what's your sort of uh, childhood and background? Yeah, similar to Nilesh, my parents came in the 70s from India. Again, like without a job and all those things and worked really, really hard um, and sort of built up what they could. Um, I'm really fortunate that also I've got two older brothers. So I sort of saw them as my, they, they sort of paved the way a lot of, okay, this is what you need to do to get into a professional job. And these are the things that you need to do on your CV and things like that. So they actually really helped guide me um, to go to university, do a placement year and all these things, because I think otherwise I honestly wouldn't have any clue. Um, so yeah, I qualified at EY. Uh, I did a placement year there and then did my graduate job there. Uh, previously to that, I was at University of Portsmouth and studying international business. Um, my whole dissertation was about women and financial services. So it was something that's always been really interesting to me. So I joined Financial Services Audit um, and currently now I've just started a role in restructuring. Okay. I've got a bit of a question on that. You mentioned there that your brothers guided you. They were the sort of the... The path. If you didn't have your brothers, do you think you'd have taken the same path? Absolutely not. I, I didn't know what big four was. I didn't know what I I knew an accountant sort of did things with numbers, but I was like, oh, I'm not that good at math. So I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon. Um I, I don't even know if I would have gone to university to be perfectly honest or anything like that, because it's just something that wasn't at school we weren't really made aware of it. Um, my parents, again, they didn't know a lot about it either. So, yeah, I, I don't think I probably would have known that much about professional services at all. God, so interesting, isn't it, when you think about how much somebody's influence, somebody else's kind of decision and route can really impact somebody else's route. I'm an only child, so I was the first one and the only one. <laughs> I had to make my own route. <laughs> Nobody else is going to do it. So I find um, it quite interesting because when you're talking about your backgrounds, I'm in the same position as you guys, right? Parents came over in the 70s. I didn't hear about the big four. I didn't know what, what that even meant or or what I could, you know, what that could do for my career or that, that, was, that was learned really later on in life, you know? So that's quite interesting because I think for you, it must have been different, Jules, your, your background. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... I guess my actually my first question because it'd be good to know what I can you can to actually you know what actually means who are you you know what is the, what is the business let's talk about that I guess the business okay. um, so look the words I can you can to actually believe it or not they're an abbreviation um, <laughs> for for an assembly that I did back in 2016 called if I can do it you can do it too. And my old secondary school had asked me to come back and, you know, Nilesh, you've done okay. Can you come back and share your story with the kids, right? And for me, that was super special because I'm giving my age away now. Um, but that was literally 20 years. So I finished school in 96 and this was 2016, right? So it was literally 20 years since I'd been there myself. And anyway, this assembly, the message was very simple. You know, I grew up around here. I came to this school and I've done, okay, I've done some pretty cool stuff. Why can't you? Right. 
So that is the basic premise upon which it started and kind of continues. Um, we realized quite quickly, actually, that actually only building hope and aspiration isn't enough alone. You need to teach the youngsters what it takes to get through the recruitment processes that you two know very, very well, right? Um, so I can, you can too, is effectively at its core, a mentoring and coaching program to support young people from disadvantaged communities, the kinds of communities that, that I grew up in. And actually, if I use Sheena for, for a moment, the point that she made about her brothers guiding her, the role I think we assume is that we are going to play that role. So the big brother role, if you like, for all these youngsters who frankly are ill-equipped to convert academic ability into the kinds of jobs that you two recruit for. Yeah, really, really interesting point that because we, we have this saying, you know, you can, you, your CV in front, you know, in front of someone can look great. Actually, a lot of the interviews now, and you're smiling at me because we talk about it so much, is interpersonal skills. Have you got the ability to, you know, confidently communicate? Have you got the ability to present? And these are the skills, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to speak on your behalf, because this is what you're referring to. Absolutely. Academics right. look great. <laughs> It's actually doing the role and being in front of someone, right? Yeah, and, 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 and to even go further than that, but how to be on time. Yeah. Yeah. Like how to be on time <laughs> to an office. Because we all know that if you don't do that, then you're going to get put on a performance plan. <laughs> you, you might not be in the business anymore, but turning up on time, what to wear, how to communicate, what to say, what not to say. Um, these are all things that... I, if you learn these things at school <laughs> um I don't think I did really a lot of that did come from my parents um so I think it's just it's yeah it's even smaller than that right it's just yeah. how to just how to be how to be in the world of work the thing that I would add to that Julia is this so there are some factors which young people need to be taught but there are factors in that list you just reeled off that actually employers need to realize right so you said how to be on time, and you said what to wear. But fundamentally predicated in that comment is what to wear. Actually, you need money to buy the clothes that you need to wear. To yeah. be on time, we assume that people, so for example, today I've come into Green Park, Gidea Park to Stratford, Jubilee Line to Green Park, right? However, what if I had to do that journey on a bus because bus is cheaper than train? Right. Right. Yeah. And so there's there's a little bit of work that needs to be done on both sides. A, teaching the young people things that you talked about, which is be on time, how to shake and hand, what's office etiquette. Yeah. But there's a bit that companies need to realize is that kids don't turn up late because they think I don't care. I'll just rock up when I want. They have factors that unless you immerse yourself in and around them, these guys and girls live through things that we can't possibly imagine, right? So I just wanted to add that. And that's that's such a valid, that's a valid point because certainly from my perspective, I would never have thought about that before. Yeah, I would never have thought about, and I don't think a lot of my clients, 
my friends, my family would ever have really thought about that, really. And Julia, to be fair, nor did we, until we created something which became a vehicle that gave us access to the lived experiences and what we have seen and heard on an ongoing basis over the last few years is the reason that we cannot fail and the reason that we cannot not do what we do, right? And now when I said I can, you can too at its heart is about coaching and mentoring. So yes, I can, you can too, coaching and mentoring is what we call our pillar one. That is first and foremost, what's super important to us. But the second part is addressing through what we call humanitarian support, some of the challenges that they face from a financial perspective. Right. And the third thing that I can, you can too now does is what we refer to as education and awareness, which is going out, doing podcasts, going and doing town halls, attending conferences and being a voice for those voices that are unheard. I was literally about to ask, surely a, a big part of your organisation is actually educating you know, people like me <laughs> or, or other people you know, who, who don't see this, who haven't come from a disadvantaged background or do, who don't know those challenges. Actually, a lot of it surely now does come down to education and awareness. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and it's a responsibility that we take seriously. Yeah. Right. So we know we, 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 we don't publish our stats, but we know all of our stats in the background. Over the last few years, <clears throat> myself and the team and increasingly the team means I'm not presenting on my own anymore. We've presented to over 10,000 people that we know of. Right. We can't we don't know how many people will listen to this podcast, for example. But what we're doing is absolutely using our platform to go and talk about and be ambassadors for their stories, right? Um, because you don't know what you don't know. It's a blind spot. Right, it is, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's amazing. Very interesting. No, yeah, it really is. So I'm going to take it back a bit. I'm going to try and just get our listeners to really understand. Mm-hmm. I can, you can too. You, your background, corporates, like you said. Yeah done well for yourself what challenges have you faced whether that might be personally professionally having conversations with those around you to let them know actually like this is my life this is my career however I want to walk away from it because of what your passion is what challenging conversations have you had to have in your experience when you've completely changed what you do so I think what's important is that maybe I explain a couple of things that happened, which led me to this thing called I can, you can too, right? And then absolutely, Sheena, I'll answer your question about the conversations that I've had to have, right? So look, a couple of things have happened. Since I was young, working with young people has always been something that I've loved to do. And what I'd done in my head through my career was compartmentalized it. I kind of went, banking and finance will pay me and working with young people will give me meaning. 
And I kept that balance going from, I remember starting voluntary work when I was 16. Basically, my school had this thing where if you were in top set for everything, you got the chance to work with year sevens. Uh, when I was doing my A-levels, I did, a, I worked with a couple of girls with Down syndrome. When I was at uni, I worked with a guy called Ali who was in a wheelchair. Sadly, he passed away. Um, when I qualified as an accountant, I worked in the community. So this thing was always important to me. Then a few things happened, right? In 2013, I became a dad. And becoming a dad fundamentally changed my lens on young people. I stopped seeing them as just kids and realizing that the same way that Mahi, that's our daughter, in the same way that she means the world to me and us, every one of these kids means the world to their parent, right? And they're not just statistics. Secondly, I was actually born with a degenerative condition which has no medicine or cure called Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. So it's very, very similar to MS, but in this case, the peripheral nervous system is damaged. And so whilst I'd like to think I look normal before you will start laughing, um, but jokes aside, 70% of the muscles in my legs don't work. So imagine a project where 70% aren't doing any work. The other 30 have got the rough end of the deal, right? So 30% of the muscles in my legs are doing all the work. So what that does is it causes pain and discomfort, but also what they call neurological fatigue, right? So although I was born with it, actually largely remained, it didn't really affect me until sort of 2014, 15, 16, that sort of time. And then in 2016, when I did that, that assembly that I was referring to, I walked out and a black boy followed me out of the assembly. And he said, Nilesh, thought you were gray. I want to become a chartered accountant because I want my dad to be proud. My dad was a chartered accountant in Nigeria. When he came across, because of his thick Nigerian accent, he couldn't be an accountant, right? So I want to make him proud and I want to do this. And I was like, yeah, dude, of course I'll mentor you. I'll help you, like, I'll, we'll get you there, right? And he says, cool. I'm going to come and meet you after the summer. And I said to him, yeah, do that. And let's meet in Canary Wharf. And he says, am I allowed to come to Canary Wharf? You wanted an intense discussion, didn't you, Julia? Um, and I said, you know, like very casually, I said, dude, why wouldn't you be allowed to come? And he said, well, uh, I know you work in the offices, but I thought all black people in Canary Wharf were either security guards or cleaners. And I had the reaction that you're now having, Julia, which is the dad in me started crying because I was stood in the playground that I'd been stood in 20 years ago. Mm. So for me, it was also quite nostalgic. Mm. Anyway, he came in September with a bunch of his mates. And then a year later, the five friends that he brought all went off to university and he managed to land a five-year apprenticeship to become a chartered accountant with EY. Wow. And so in that July, in the following July, when we found out, I went to meet his mum, this 60-year-old Nigerian lady. We're sat in Starbucks in Stratford, and she's holding my hands. She's crying. She's 
talk, telling me that everybody in the church is praying for me, blessing me, how we've changed their life, right? Mm. And I'm like, man, you're about, I didn't realize it then, but I'm like, you changed my life, right? Because for me, that became the thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life, yeah. right? Because yeah. at its most basic, how could I not? Yeah. yeah. Right. But I also look at that mum needs to take some real pride, actually, because some somewhere along the line, she's helped that boy have the bravery to run after you yeah. after that session to talk to you or even you know, bravery, but to have the the politeness, the kind of the yeah. gratitude to run after you and go, I really enjoyed that webinar. I that, that seminar. Yeah. So you can piece that right back, can't you? You can, it's amazing. And actually, amazing. I love the point that you made. And these young people that we've worked with, they have oodles of resilience, grit, determination, all skills that are super valuable. The other part of my story that I love to talk about is note he didn't come on his own in september he brought five of his friends with him yeah. right yeah. so when i when we talk to companies and we shout about this on stage right which is this group of young people and therefore social mobility means that yes they require support with how do you write a cv how do you shake someone's hand so that's the support they need but teamwork, which we know corporates spend millions on, right? <laughs> but let's be honest, what happens in the corporate world when you have an advantage? Does anybody actually share it or do they keep it for themselves so that they can progress their own career? And yet this boy didn't need multi-million pound teamwork training. He very casually said to me, Nilesh, I remember what he said. He said, Nilesh, I think you're quite a talented guy. If you're going to help me, quite a talented guy. Right? <laughs> quite, he, said, yeah. he says, if you're going to help me, you might as well help them. That's, that's all he said. You might as well help them. Not can they come. So all of a sudden, I've got these six kids in front of me. But the point is, is that they need training X, Y, and Z, yeah. but they don't need A, B, and C, right? So it's a little bit of give and take here is what my point is. Yeah. Sure. So for me, I just, I love this story and we spoke about it, right? Yeah. But to me, even hearing it again is bittersweet. It's so sweet. And I love the fact that this guy is just followed you, rocked up and bought with his mates, the initiative and the proactiveness to do that. Yeah. The bit that just really, really makes me feel... I would say, I'm going to say sad, is because the fact that he thought he couldn't go to Canary Wharf, mm. that children are still feeling like that, and the fact that he's got a job there now and he's, you know, I hope he's doing amazing for himself, is just incredible. Mm. Well, certainly it made me look around more when I go into Canary Wharf, and I do, I'm at the gym there, so um, it will make me look around more, and I'd like to think that you know, it's more diverse, but I don't know. Now I actually really think about it. Um, and, and yeah, I will think about that. 100%. That comment, I think, will now stick. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, sad, isn't it? Sheena, taking it back to you then. So again, your background, you've gone and, you know, you're, you work for ICANN, you can too. What are your reasons behind 
work your bike and you can too. Yeah, so I think, um, so it would have been about three years ago, I think I'd seen a story about I Can You Can Too and Milesh, and obviously we were at the same company at the time as well. Um, I'd seen something that they were doing, and at that time, similar to Milesh, where I've always, I've always loved just working with kids. Uh, when I was 16, I volunteered for my local brownies. It's like a baby owl. <laughs> <laughs> so... I was like a young leader there, took away on camps and stuff. Um, and then when I was 21, after I'd finished my placement year, I saved up and went to Vietnam to volunteer in orphanages and things like that. And all that stuff was really great, but it just wasn't sustainable. And I wanted to work with with something where I could make a make a real difference and b just sort of see that impact. And you know, being in Vietnam for eight weeks was great. But that's eight weeks and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out to Nush and basically said, this sounds amazing. Um, how can I get more involved? These are things that I can do and I think I might be a bit good at this and things like that. And Nush replied to me saying, well, it's great that you've done the background reading, but come see what we do. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see for yourself if you want to get more involved. So I went along to one of the sessions which is our biggest session of the year now, which is our live careers library. And the students get to pick different rooms that they might be interested in a career in. So I was in the accounting and finance room. There was architecture, marketing, all of that stuff. And the kids basically get to ask any questions that they want to this um, panel. Well, it ranges from, you know, students at university to partners and CEOs on the panel. And you get to ask them anything you want. And I remember thinking... God, I would have loved this when I was 17. Like, I, this is exactly what I'd need, where you can, you think, you know, you want to be, and it's like we say, your parents tell you become a doctor and do this. Mm. You think you want to go down one avenue, but then you can get to speak to professionals and actually think, well, actually, that sounds really good too. Maybe I want to do that. And maybe I'm quite good at that. Um, so from there, I've just sort of been a bit hooked. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, so I sort of work more on our program side, um, whether it's sort of helping with the syllabus or helping with what we want for the upcoming year and so on. So, yeah, and it, it is, I think from now doing it for a couple of years, it is amazing to sort of see these students. Yes, at the end, you know, they can then write a CV and they can do these presentations, but some of them, Honestly, you see them present on stage often. They can own an audience, and they're a completely different person to how they started the program. Um, and they're then also paying it forward, mm-hmm. and they're saying, "Okay, what what can I do to help out next year?" And it's just the most warming thing because you think, "Oh, I'm so glad that you're tomorrow's architects, dentists, marketers, whatever it is," because they're just so ambitious and they want to do mm-hmm. better and pay it forward. Well, it's the, it's the domino effect, isn't it? Yeah. So they 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 learn lots from it, and then you'd like to think they will come back, and then they will help. You know, Mary Ann was very keen, wasn't she, on yeah. giving back mm-hmm. to her own community, and that's just that's just brilliant. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's something that is really important to us as a business, right? And Dave, like you mentioned earlier, giving back is so key to him, mm. you know, and us. What what. What positive or what what influence have you both had on corporate companies? You know, you're still obviously doing, you know, work with EY. 
what impact do you think you have on corporates to to change or you know adapt and have a different lens on DNI? Do you want me to go first? Yeah. So let me slightly segue to the question you asked a moment ago, which is challenging conversation, because that's this is a phenomenal example to your most recent question. So the first challenging conversation I had to have was with my wife. Right? <laughs> Always so in, in 2017, I said to her, I want to work with kids. And she's looking at me going, how's that going to work, Nilesh? Right? And then it depends who you ask, her or me, but I'm in the room, so I'm going to give my version. <laughs> we'll have to get your wife on. And <laughs> present. We've got a guest star. Um, but what I then did was, look, I think what I needed was more time, right? Because all I had at, the at that moment was this desire to give back, but no service. What was I going to do, right? Yeah. So as of 1 January 2018... I went down to part-time at EY. So I put, I suppose, my money where my mouth is, and I took a 40% pay cut and gave up two days a week and did that for four and a half years. So four and a half years of 40%, we, we can do the maths on it, right? Mm. But that was my way of saying, I need some time to develop something and that is what I can, you can too. Essentially, that's the product, right? That's the service that we've developed. But when you ask me, what have you changed? I think that there are some absolutely phenomenal organizations out there. We have the pleasure of working with several hundred professionals from, from EY, from HSBC, from Linklaters, from Sky Sports, from architecture firms, from engineering firms. But let me pick on one, right? EY. So when you say what, what has changed, and you two are recruiters, so you're going to have to go with me here, right? <laughs> I have recently gone back to EY full-time to run I Can, You Can Do. So I don't actually have an EY job. My job is to run I Can, You Can Do, right? So for me, that is the biggest example of an organization saying, we think what you are doing is phenomenal and we are committed to supporting you. So not only did they ask me to come back and we agreed that I'd come back full time, but they also promoted me. So I've literally just gone back to run my own company whilst they pay me full time. Oh, and by the way, we'll also promote you. Wow. So... Wow. You know, look, credit where it is due, and we see this in other organizations as well, right? We now have, so a couple of years ago, we had to make a decision. Do we want to do what we do for more youngsters, or do we do a few more youngsters, but give them a deeper service, right? And so one of the things that we know that they struggle with is work experience, mm. right? Because there's a little bit of a historic challenge going on here, because Sheena, the doctor, com the, the doctor comment that you made at the beginning, what we talked about, the thing that's happening in the background is mums and dads for young people of colour predominantly are still telling them that you must ace your exams. But what the corporates are now doing is going, we're going to take away looking at your results and we're going to interview you on strengths-based. But now you've got a bigger problem. 
because these youngsters go into these interviews and they've got nothing to talk about, right? So what we did is we said, well, how can we how can we re how can we re-engineer that? So what we can do is they can put I can you can too on their CV. The hot meals program that we run, they can come and volunteer on that. We're creating other volunteering opportunities for them so that they can do good and improve their CV. And finally, we're propping up loads of work experience opportunities because the organizations that we've worked with for the last few years are going, we love what you're doing. We will give your young people the opportunity to interview. And we're happy with that because they've learned how to interview with us. And then they get the chance to have an opportunity to go and work at these firms. So this last two years and the year going ahead, if I think about finance and banking, a bunch of our youngsters will get work experience at EY, at HSBC, at Jupiter Asset Management, at FinCap, at AXA Excel. So that's just five organizations in our field. We've got a couple of architecture firms that will do that. So that's companies buying into, right, we now see the problem. Thank you for sharing that with us. And here's what we're going to do about it. Wow. Okay. And but it's also thinking this must be fundamentally one person who ticks the box, right? Who makes that decision. Then of course the problem is how do you get the rest of the organization thinking that? Because I hear that and go, that's brilliant, amazing. But I've witnessed countless times where it's one, you know, when, when someone's hiring somebody for their team, it's that one person's decision. Yeah. And if they've not had that training, if they've not had that message from the top, yeah. if when it, it gets wasted, it all goes, all falls apart, right? Because if that message isn't really going down in the business and really going down, you get one person in the business who doesn't really want to follow that path. Does it all just fall over? And and what what can we do to stop that happening? Realistically, <laughs> because it's, that's a, that's a society thing, isn't it? And that's yeah. I think it is the point on sharing stories. Where I think it's something that I've learned. Where sometimes you know, sending an email saying we're this is the initiative we're doing, um, and you know this is what's happening this year. I don't think that is enough. I think you need to be in front of an audience and say to them, look, these are the reasons and these are the reasons we should be doing it. And sort of following on from the organisation point, the shifts that we're seeing as well from our students, and, you know, Nina Schneider did traditional route of university and then went on to um and all of that. Actually, a lot of them want to do school leader programmes now. That is a huge shift that we're seeing where, you know, they don't want the 50k of debt that you're getting, which God knows, what and their interest is on my right now. And they know that they want to become an accountant. They know they want to become a lawyer at 17. So it makes sense that they want to go on to do these apprenticeships and so on. So I think another thing is sort of saying to companies, this is the value. You're going to have a 22-year-old that's ready for a manager position because they've spent four years in the business. And actually, you'll, you'll then be able to charge them out at a higher rate, you're, they'll know the company inside out, that you're not then training a grad, for example, that it's brilliant, they've got a degree and they've got those things. But actually, they know how to use the system. They, the school leaders will know your clients really well. And if your clients are doing it as well, it makes sense that you would do it because you you sort of want to be on that same level. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's it goes back to cognitive diversity. You know, it's that person that ultimately says yes. Yes. Do they think in a different way? And I, and I agree. I think there needs to be training around organizations to you know to be okay to think in a different way. But also, I think you know, and I've made this mistake. I I put my hands up, and I have when I've recruited someone from my team, I had gone for the person that I think I can relate to the most. What is it about that person that I can relate to? It must mean his or her background is something to do, you know, with having something in common with that person. I've done it, right? Which means if I'm doing it, a lot of people must be doing it. It's actually really do, and this is what we really do in our hiring process is we really push each other to think very differently as much as I can you know as much as you can Dave and Chris when we hire internally you have to be willing to look at something different yeah but there is a real challenge around that because you know we've Mm. we've seen companies really try and get their process to be more appreciative of you know okay classic example you go into an interview the interviewer starts talking about you know how was your weekend and yeah, oh, really good weekend. I went to play golf. And the, the partner goes, Oh, oh yeah, I really like golf too. And they talk about golf for 10 minutes. We all know that in the past that's happened. We all know that's happened in organizations. So a lot of organizations are now going, right, strip that back. Let's get a competency-based interview where you just ask four or five questions. It has to stick to that, to that script. Great, it's fair. It is fair. It's very, very fair. But the amount of times a candidate comes out of that interview and goes, well, I got absolutely no connection. I felt absolutely no connection to that interviewer whatsoever. I've come out feeling cold. I don't want to work for them because they didn't actually even ask me how my day was. We didn't have a, a chat about anything. We just, I was probed for an hour. And it's now going almost, I think, the opposite way where those candidates are coming out of the interview going, somebody who doesn't even want to have a chit chat at the beginning of the interview so how do we get the balance there because that that's a problem right <laughs> yeah that's a problem uh, I'm gonna actually just throw something in here Jules because actually I was having a conversation at a client meeting only on Monday or Tuesday and she said you know the, the way they've been trained to do hiring has been almost not giving away. Do you like that person? Do you not like that person? They've been trained not to give that away. That's why they don't feel the connection, but that's that's how they were trained many, many years ago. I think, you know, the younger generations coming up, progressing in years to come, that's where we'll probably see a change in that. Yeah. What do you guys think? Interview process. Look, I think the, the point that you make is that perhaps we try and recruit people in our own image, right? Yeah, yeah. But I believe, I, I, I agree with you and your question about is one person enough? Look, real change, not the change that people make so that their stats look better at the end of the year. Real change takes time. It's messy, it's complicated. What we are seeing is that by telling real stories, by preparing both sides, so pre- prepping the youngsters, but also prepping the corporates. We are hopeful, and that's not blind hope. It's hope based on what we are seeing and experiencing, is that there will be this sort of coming together and a tipping point in the not-too-distant future. 
So what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. We've got an organization that's a private bank. This was, Jules, the example that I was giving to you downstairs. Gosh, I'm comfortable. I'm fooling you, Jules. Um, <laughs> it's and, all right. You can. It's fine. It's fine. Um, one of our youngsters works for a private bank. He was, was he recruited because it was on vogue, the right thing to do, etc. Honestly, I don't know. Okay. But this individual is in that organization. He has performed so well that the entire board have taken notice of the way this young man operates. Next year, that will be, so what that's done for the board is gone actually recruiting away from the stereotypical recruitment that we used to go down. He's their highest performing, our young guy is their highest performing apprentice, right? So what he's done is he has, some switches have gone on in the minds of the board, the people that do the recruitment. He becomes a segue to open the door for the people after him. So this, a couple of years ago, it was one person. Let's say this year it's two people. In 10 years time, it will be 50 people, mm. right? Then that tipping point will come. And the tipping point right now for me is youngsters from a disadvantage, so social mobility is what we call it, right? From that background, going into organizations and proving that recruiting me wasn't only because a metric required you to, but I can affect your bottom line, right? Yeah. So not only does it do good, but it does well. Yeah. yeah it's not just ticking the box, no. which I think you're right. I think a lot of organizations still are in that mindset. Yeah. How do we tick the box? But you've got to actually want to do it, right? And well, yeah. I think also if you get a diverse view of your recruitment process for example um as let's just look at numerical reasoning tests when there are assessment centers yes you know there are enough even the word but it's even if you look at that okay that they say to you if you ask your hiring manager you know how can i do better at this. Okay, yeah, just do the practice test online. Okay, there's one free practice test, the rest you have to pay for. What do you do then? Um, what do you do? And even remember that these students aren't used to hiring processes and all of this. So when you put a two and a half hour case study in front of them, well, what are you actually getting out of that? Is it you want to see how they articulate themselves? Because then you could do a five minute presentation on something that they want to do instead of giving them a two and a half case that it's probably enough to deter them from applying. Mm. And one of the sessions we do with the students is we have four HR professionals brought in that talk through their whole recruitment process start to end. Because when you're sending off these applications, you have no idea what's in store for you. So no. I think just being a bit more transparent that when you're sending off that application on the website, why don't you put your stages up there? There's, there, there can't be that much to hide it. It's pretty standard, you know, you do your interviews, you do your assessment centres, you do the numerical reasoning, and then you do your final interviews. Just kind of being that transparent, because there are some students that will have a lot of connections and they'll know exactly what the process is at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, but actually the students we work with have no clue, and it's enough for them to go, oh, I actually don't want to do it because I'm scared of failing. Yeah, yeah. put you off. I'm into that. I didn't get into KPMG because I failed their numerical. And I'm pretty <laughs> disappointed because I got an A in A-level maths. Exactly. I couldn't pass 
The KPMG numerical <laughs> test. You sound so not so bitter. Bad. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. The analogy that we've used <laughs> a lot is this. If you would you expect a child to sit at GCSE for a subject? They don't know what the subject is called. They've never done a past paper. They've never had a teacher or a guide, and yet they sit this exam. No. Mm. Yeah, they'd be travesty, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. And yet these youngsters are doing, are expected to do exactly that. Yeah. Right? And they don't even get to see a human being because should they apply, the computer will whittle them out of the process. Right? So they never get, even if they've got a little bit of chutzpah, a bit of personality, where you need to see human beings to show that, right? Yeah. But you won't get there because the computer will decline you. Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest issues we're facing at the moment with the potential for more artificial intelligence within recruitment processes. So quite a lot of organisations use AI. Yeah. And the hazard with that, of course, is that you're, you're putting it into the hands of technology and, you know, a lot of AI relies on past process. So if they've always in the past recruited a certain profile of individual, the computer's going to pick up on that and they're going to keep doing that in the future. And it, it scares me. You know, a lot of, we've discussed a lot, you know, recruitment in the future. Will we be here? Will it all be online? No, it can't be. It cannot be. It would be, it would be, it would be awful. It would remove, in my opinion, all diversity because yes, people have their biases. I completely agree with that. We People do. But handing it all over to a computer really terrifies me because how, how yeah. do you even start with that? I mean, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah. We, we probably should go back on <laughs> a form of topic. Um, is there anything you particularly want to ask you? Yeah, we've actually gone into a few of these topics just off chance. But yeah, I mean, um, Sheila, if you could give one tip to our listeners, stakeholders that we work with, mm-hmm. what's one thing they could change in your view? to hire more diverse. And like you said, look, a lot, a lot of companies are doing right, you know, a lot of this right now. Well, a lot of, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah, so what's yeah. one tip you could give to anyone listening at the moment? I think it would be to, you don't have to go full whack and go, okay, right, we're going to hire 20 apprentices and let's just go for it. You can, you can start small, go, okay, let's start with a work experience. Let's start with a two-week work experience. Guaranteed you'll see the value in hiring diverse at that point. Then go on to a six-week internship and see see the value of having someone in your business that doesn't think or look like everyone else there does. And then go into this apprenticeship and these schools. And also, I think, just open up your mind a bit. But, you know, you might get a CV in front of you and it's not the prettiest CV. But little do you know, actually, that student doesn't actually have a laptop at home, so if he wrote it on his phone, yeah. because they don't, the student doesn't have Wi-Fi or his own laptop. Uh, you might be on a telephone in, uh, video interview and there's racket at the background and all of that, but little do you know that that student shares his room with three other siblings and all these things. There's so many, I think, biases that you think of, yeah, that wasn't professional, that wasn't professional, but I think you need to sort of look a bit beyond it you might not have three a's at a level but actually you've got a part-time job that you've done you've been a carer for someone you've been a tutor for someone there's so many all there's all these other things that makes up someone yeah that i think we need to start looking into um so i think my advice would just have that open mind yeah i think i think you've hit the nail on the head 
for me personally as well, because I'm trying to reflect that back to when we develop as people, right? Mm-hmm. And I talk about planning in our, one of our pre- previous podcasts and how you learn and develop. And that's the thing. You look at what can I, you might have a list of five things you want to improve on, but pick one and do it well. And this goes back to exactly what you yeah. said. Pick one area, do that really well and see what impact it has, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, start, yeah, start small. If you can't have this all singing or dancing yeah. program, just just yeah, get somebody for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's, e- it's easy and easy, right? It makes a massive difference then. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I've heard people go, well, "We don't have any access to students and things like that." Okay, well, there's a lot of schools that do. So you know, you you can get. I, I think there's so many avenues you could go down mm. that you don't have to limit yourself with okay but this isn't working actually even if you just start with one work experience person yeah just start just do something yeah absolutely okay um should we ask the bamboozle question then should we wrap I'm up so excited I'm, for time. <laughs> I'm so excited for the bamboozled question so uh just to be clear disclaimer everyone as usual on our podcast no one knows what the bamboozled question is and it's my favorite time of the episode <laughs> sometimes we don't but that's absolutely i mean earlier i didn't even know what episode it was so (laughs) where are we (laughs) so do you think in your opinion schools have the relevant syllabus for generations these days for the young younger generations in particular what are your thoughts on this Do, do schools have the relevant syllabus in place no no. no, they don't. Why? I just, I just think that too many establishments, whether they're corporates or schools, so I'm going to bring corporates in, right, because that's important to me. They operate in silos, and that's a problem, right? What schools do, and I'm, I'm, I'm only talking about the schools that I know, mm. right, is they are exam factories mm. with very, very little if any at all, focus on careers. Yeah. And if I think about corporates, we are all part of a shared ecosystem, right? And yet corporates operate in silos and respectfully have no idea of what goes on in schools. No. And schools have no idea how to prepare youngsters. Surely the point of going to school is to do well in your exams, dot, 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 so that you can have a career, right? So, unequivocally, no. That very certain on there, straight. <laughs> no, I, I agree with, with, with parents who are teachers. Yeah. Um, I think, well, my mum's maths. So my mum would always say, you need, you need, you need maths. Because to be fair, you do use maths yeah. every day. She will always argue that you, you use maths every day. But I think, there's, I think they, they, they've always said themselves that, you know, there are fundamentally some areas that are lacking. Primary example, I did um, home ec. Home ec, is that cooking? I did cooking at school. And actually, I'm a terrible cook now. I know you're about to say that. <laughs> she, I'm a, she's great. She's I'm great. a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible cook. However, it did teach me some basics. It taught me some basics. And actually, it taught me the value of eating good feed. And they taught you recipes that were good. It was, it was good feed. Um, but but they've, that's all gone now, right? It's all, it's all, that's all been panned, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and our school actually gave us the ingredients we were actually using. It's all, it was, it was great, but it's, yeah, I think. Whilst we're on this topic, life skills, 
Well, yes, yeah. mortgages, you know, like you said, numbers you got to know, but mortgages and how things work. And I mean, I was saying to my boss just the other day, like, I, I didn't know much about that until I went through the process. Yeah. You right. have this, you know, life skills are really important. And I think that's something that we need yeah. to look at in schools significantly. Can I add a point? I just had this vision of one of the teachers listening to this podcast and going, Nilesh, you were... I'm going to kill you. So let me, but jokes aside, let me just add one point. I go back to my ecosystem point, right? So a couple of years ago, schools were asked to introduce what they're called Gatsby benchmarks, which said schools don't do careers properly. Mm. And therefore, but in a nutshell, every young person should have access to professionals in every year of secondary school. They should have access to opportunities, blah, 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 blah. The challenge for schools is, this kind of stuff is imposed upon them mm. and in amongst their very, very new parents or teachers, right? Yeah. They're so busy that yeah. they cannot do this thing justice. So I go back to my eco. At some point, policymakers, corporate schools, everybody needs to sit around the table. Yeah. And I know that sounds a bit Walton-esque and oh, in the perfect world, but everyone needs to understand what one another's pressures are yeah and how do we do this right because ultimately the future of our planet the future generations are the young people and we're doing them a disservice yeah. by not doing it properly yeah totally agree and I, leave it on that yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a brilliant point <laughs> we could talk about this all day couldn't we yeah so to to end the session our next next episode episode four will be will be with our ceo dave Haler. um the episode's called hey mr Haler. um and this is tips around how to uh, retain your team leadership tips creating a great culture so watch out for that in the new year yeah thanks so much for listening guys thank you very much Sheena. thank you very much Nilesh. um and we'll see you soon thank you Thanks for listening to the Two Who Recruit. See you next time.